This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, I am here with Hans, who is working on alternate hardware platforms that would run the Mr. FPGA project, as well as a bunch of other very cool stuff. So thank you very much, Hans, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, many thanks for having me. It's my first time on YouTube in that format. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so you are uh, very far off in a time zone right now, because it's kind of funny. I'm about to crack my first beer for the evening, and it is very early for you, right? Oh, well, it's actually not a bit late, because I usually get up at about 3 a.m. or so, or 4 a.m. So I am actually was working for quite a bit, and I, I got even uh, some success today. I got HDMI working on the Jurassic Decker board with the Mr. Mistakes. So, oh, nice. So what uh, uh, what gets you up so early? Is that just kind of the way your brain works? You're up early and sleep early? Or do you have a job that kind of requires you to be up at that time? No, it's it's uh, more like the first because, um, yeah, uh, I have to say I have a chronic health condition. So sometimes mm-hmm. I just don't feel very well and I would get up in the night uh, and, uh, yeah, kind of, yeah, being too fresh to sleep. <laughs> And um, then I would get on the computer and just work something, and that makes me feel better if I do something fun. Yeah. And and I'm also, sorry to hear that. Uh, well, yeah, it's uh, I'm uh, um, how do you say a victim of the medical industrial complex, so uh, especially Oof. antibiotics. Uh, so my 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 intestines are terminally messed up. So it's I, I've got that for 13 years. There's a yeast infection which won't go away, and uh, oh, no. as a side effect of uh, I, I was I didn't really know the dangers of antibiotics. So uh, and now I, I have to keep a very strict diet with which I figured out with trial and error. And yeah, and sometimes uh, well I get uh, I get up and don't feel very well. But also the side effect is uh, here also in the, the Indonesia it's very hot. So actually, the the early morning hours are really the most productive because everything's quiet and it's cool outside, and um, and in the noontime when it's hot and everything and noisy, then it's better to not have to concentrate much. So and uh, yeah, the stuff I do is is really, it takes a lot of quiet and concentration. So um, mm. so yeah, that helps me. And also uh, in the early morning hours when I just get up. 
then I can solve my most difficult problems. Uh, so if I, I've got a real uh, a hard problem, then it's the first thing uh, I'm going to do in the morning, and, and, and then usually I, I can fix it uh, quite fast. It's funny. I get some of my best ideas in the middle of the night, but I don't have the energy or focus to work on them. So my friend Mike Chi has, and you know uh, Ash, Tian Fong, a bunch of my close friends have probably woken up to messages of me like, dude, I just woke up. I had this idea. Let's build this thing. We could wire this into that. And like, they're all very patient with me because some of the ideas are incredibly stupid because I'm half asleep when I write them. But there's been some really good ideas there. But I can get as long as I get the idea down, I won't forget it. But if I just wake up, think about it and go back to sleep, it's gone forever. Same with music. If I have yep. like a riff in my head, if I don't immediately record it, it's probably going to be gone forever or, or very different. But then I actually go to sleep and I wake up and, you know, kind of get my focus and then I could dive hard into a problem. But those late night ideas, like the ideas come, but the actual work doesn't get done until I focus. So uh, do you play the guitar or is... Yes, I actually used to be I used to be very good at it. I haven't played in over a year. I loved it so much. I was in a band that played a bunch of live gigs and I got to play a, a couple of bigger venues and it was very much fun. Um, it was kind of overlapped with retro RGB a bit. So a few people that follow the channel had come out and seen a couple of shows, which was great. But that kind of fell apart. And then life just got so busy. I just didn't have time to keep up. And, you know, when you play complicated music, you can't just pick up your guitar every three months and play Kumbaya and strum around a campfire. You know, it's complicated stuff. You know, it's muscle memory. It's practice. It's like it's like being an athlete from your wrist to the tip of your finger. You know, yeah. if you don't keep up, you just can't do it anymore. So, yeah, I have uh, um, the advantage that because I'm typing a lot on the keyboard, that kind of keeps my fingers fluid. So if I want to play then on a gig or something, I just need to warm up a couple of hours on the same day. And then it's it's pretty, pretty good still. So, uh, oh, yeah, but I, I ought to practice regularly again. I was uh, very intense for uh, 10 years. I focused a lot on the saxophone. I put in uh, uh, from two to nine hours every day in practice. And then I figured out that kind of having to earn money with that really sucks. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I lost interest too because, yeah, it's kind of 10 years of doing something intensely is, seems to be, or eight or 10 years seems to be my limit. And that's why, why I changed, got into FPGAs right now uh, because my previous job, I did, did it for 10 years and I just couldn't see it anymore. It's not because it was a bad job. It was a great job and was a great company. But I just couldn't stand doing the same thing all over again anymore. So I needed something else. And that's why I got into FPGAs. So um, is your job what brought you out to Indonesia? Uh, what was that? Uh, is your job what originally brought you to Indonesia? No, no. Uh, that That's a whole different story. It's a long story. So uh, <laughs> I was um, a Mormon missionary in Indonesia back in 2002. And... Uh, then I got home and, uh, yeah, to make a long story short, uh, I, I, my wife is from here. And uh, hmm. so we live here and uh, I have four children. We have four children, <laughs> better to say. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I, and she is happier here in her own country. She didn't like it. In, she liked Germany, but she didn't have her friends. And that's very important for Indonesians. They are very social people. So they need their friends and family around. And I'm kind of a nerd, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the antisocial <laughs> type loner. 
that would uh, enjoy spending countless hours alone in the in the chamber. Not antisocial, but uh, not very socializing. Uh, so I, I like quiet and my privacy, and I, I like to stay in my room and figuring out stuff. And uh, yeah, uh, and so we moved here. And it's kind of so, interesting to see, like, um, to see how different people interact with people. Because, like, I always just I love people. I love hanging out. I get energized when I hang out with my friends. But I'll also go like a month without seeing anybody, you know, which is different because I get to hang out virtually via all this stuff. But for me, like my closest friends are the ones that I, I don't see for six months. But when I do, it's exactly like the last time we hung out. There's no, you know, how come you haven't called me? It's none of that. It's just like, hey, good to see you. If you're here. Let's go hang out. Let's have fun. And it's, you know, it's no, no pressure. Just just good friends. So it's um, always it always makes me happy. Oh, that's great. You mean, it means you're very flexible. So what, what I have the greatest difficulty is is kind of small group situations where you, the focus changes so rapidly that that gets me really tired really quick. So I've got no problems kind of performing in, in front of a thousand people or whatever. Uh, I'm, I feel fine with that. But uh, those small group interactions, uh, they're really killing me. Uh, it's One-on-one -on -one is good because I can focus totally on one person. But, but because I, I tend to focus really hard, then if that changes, that that's a lot of stress for me. So uh, that's why I usually avoid small group situations. Well, yeah, everybody's different. You know, sometimes it puts pressure on people. For me, when I started doing these long stretches with retro RGB, where I would just spend a full week, just wake up every morning and then work until I passed out at night and just break to eat and shower and stuff like that. I would go like two weeks without really seeing anybody other than my wife. And then I would show up at like Brooklyn video games and I'd feel so awkward for like three or four minutes. Cause it's just, you get a snap back into human interaction and then, but they're all awesome people. So you know, three or four minutes into it, I'm, I'm back to being me and it's, it's fine again, but it was kind of, I guess not funny, but funny to me in a, twisted way where when the pandemic happened and all of the the shutdown and the lockdowns now i'd show up and like three or four minutes later i'm back to me again and everybody else in the room's awkward because they weren't used to being locked away for weeks at a time so it was a full role reversal so i just i immediately recognized it and was like all right let me be extra patient because they're, they're always yeah, patient with me for the first two or three minutes yeah <laughs> so now when we first um when we first logged on here before you showed me something that I kind of intentionally cut you off because I wanted to, you to talk about it here because I just I love stuff like this and I wanted it to feel fresh. You said you had built a MIDI interface or a multi-channel audio interface out of an FPGA, right? It's actually both. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, to my, did I mention it? I, I so I, I got bored in my previous job and uh, so beside my work, I got into FPGAs and. My first really non-trivial project or some, somewhat useful project was an audio interface. Uh, so uh, uh, this is what it looks like. So that's actually, so you can see here, it has two USB inputs. So this is the, mm -hmm. the only audio interface I know which has two inter, uh, USB inputs. And it also has two uh, digital analog converters where you audio output for headphones. And then it has up there, there are eight um, optical terminals, uh, which are in and out for ADAT. So each of those terminals can pass eight channels. So you have a total of 32 channels, which going in and out over high-speed USB. 
And is, mm. it uses an FPGA, as you see, and because it has no microprocessor, it, everything is implemented in logic, in hardware. So the, it has, the, the interface in itself has a latency of about uh, not even a half millisecond. So it says about 300 microseconds. Whoa, latency. really? Yeah. So uh, uh, that's what I measured uh, with the USB analyzer. So uh, this, this is the, the specialty of FPGA. So they can react uh, instantly because, uh, because uh, all of the circuits run at the same time. In an, in, inside of an FPGA. And that's not like a CPU or a microcontroller, which kind of has to do this and then run to another place and then do that and uh, and just run around all the time. Uh, and the FPGA can do everything at once, even if the mm -hmm. clock frequency is much, much lower. So it just runs at about 100 megahertz. I compare that to the three gigahertz of my PC. Uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, so it's so funny that you talk about this because what you just discussed for anybody that's not a musician, I promise I'll make this quick. I won't go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply often a long rant about musician stuff but if you're recording into a computer which is for most people the best way to do it because of cost you have two choices really you could uh, if your instrument is something that plugs in so it's not a saxophone it's an electric guitar electric bass whatever else you could use something called a di box so one goes directly raw into your computer and the other one goes into your amp and then you could reamp it later and in that case it's kind of like streaming where latency doesn't matter at all it could be a second off but you're not hearing that you're hearing it through your amp but most people don't have that luxury and in fact recording at home you very often don't want a lot of extra noise so you have to go directly into your computer and listen to your computer monitors. And some audio interfaces are pretty low latency with their pass-through, but most are not. So trying to record to a click track or to pre-recorded instruments or anything else, latency matters just as much as a pro gaming scenario. So yep. that's why having a low latency audio interface is so important. But what Hans just explained for, uh, from an audio point of view, is exactly why FPGAs are faster than software emulation in most cases, not all, of course. But, yeah, and that yeah, also explains, that overlaps. sorry to interrupt you, that also mm -hmm. explains why, why they are so good for retro gaming, because they can simulate the whole, uh, not simulate, they implement the whole circuit at once. So the, the, the difference to software emulation is that uh, on an FPGA, you have a real an implementation of the circuit on which every part of the circuit runs at the same time. If you have software emulation, the CPU can only do one thing at a time and it runs uh, runs around in circles. Like, you know, the guy who is spinning the plates on the multiple, only that you have a lot of plates 
for, for each circuit element, yeah, uh, the CPU runs around and, and tries to keep them spinning, but the order kind of needs to be important too, and, and, and so on and so on. So the timing of uh, software emulation isn't the same like as in FPGA, you can really design it that it has the same clock cycle behavior as the original hardware, more or less. So uh, that's why they're so good for gaming. Yeah, um, yeah. To, to get the curve back to the topic. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what I was aiming at. Um, so um, what kind of major jump from audio interfaces to the Mr. Project? Are you a gamer as well? Is this something, you know, did you just kind of discover the Mr.? Have you been following it since the beginning? Oh, yeah. Actually, the the story is that... I, I, when I was a teenager, uh, yeah, it was the classic age of retro games, you know, the arcades, uh, the arcades, the consoles, the Sega, uh, Sega Master System. My first computer was an Amstrad CPC C464, and then my main computer was an Amiga. And uh, I, I learned most, uh, a lot of my, my computer science skills on the Amiga, actually. And then I got at the magazine at the, at the railway station, my first Linux CD, then I moved on to Linux. Uh, and uh, I always had a lot, I grew up with the retro games. And uh, so for the first time in my life, and you know, those arcade games in Germany were really expensive. So you, for one game, you have to put in one mark, which is, uh, yeah, something like a dollar. Yeah? Hmm. And it, probably in America is a quarter or something. Yeah? 50 cents for most of the games. And, and yeah, maybe in Germany at that time, it probably was comparable, but it was, for me, was out of question. I just could only, may, maybe those arcade games could play once or so, and then I was out of money, and uh, you can't do anything there. And uh, with the Mister, for the first time, I could have the same arcades, which were really expensive machines at the time, and I could just have them in that little box there and, and play the original ROMs that, that were on, on the, on, in the arcade machine. So I have my own arcade machine at home, and this is kind of, really exciting for me. But actually, I'm not a gamer at all. So uh, so when I was a teenager, I still um, played games. So, But when I came, was early teens, maybe 13 or 14, I figured out I, I rather play with with technology. It's, and, and right now, uh, if I start playing games, I get bored really quickly. So but maybe five minutes or so that I get bored. I, I rather enjoy actually playing with the technology behind it. So uh, that's why I'm actually doing this project. Because, yeah, my love for the retro games and I really like the creativity behind those games and the originality behind those. And uh, uh, and uh, so, um, yeah, I enjoy playing with the technology, actually. And uh, that's why I'm into this. I, I don't yeah, actually... I'm kind of in the same place, too. You know, I just uh, the technology itself is, is kind of also an art. You know, it's uh, it just always made me really happy messing with this and changing it and improving it and modifying it so it's it's always fun to dig into it like that yeah i really also enjoy uh designing pcbs and uh that's something just i learned in the last year or so and hmm. uh, yeah uh, and it's really a lot of fun to, to kind of to to draw something on the computer and then press a button and then it comes back to you in physical form that's really amazing so with the with the chinese factories which offer assembly like JLC PCB for a, a, a fantastic price. Uh, you get back a, a very, very good quality PCB assembled. And I see you like, have the blue box behind you. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, you see, you see that there's not o- not only one. There are several ones. Oh, <laughs> right. yeah, right. <laughs> see, I, they sponsor my weekly podcast, but I really do use them. I actually, this is I've been using them for years. I saw that box. I saw the flap sitting over there, and I'm like, well, I know what that is. I have quite a few sitting over here. Yeah, they're fantastic. Me too. So, uh, yeah, one of my last projects was this here. This is a USB three uh, microcontroller board. So high speed, nice. uh, so super speed USB. So uh, three gigabit, uh, five gigabit per second, 300, uh, 300 megabytes. And yeah, got, them, got it working. So, so um, for anybody who maybe, uh, I guess I, I want to introduce the work that you've been doing for anybody that hasn't followed it. I know we're kind of already 20 minutes in, but I, I'm enjoying the chat. So I think most people are probably would be too, but you're working on something that you're calling the Mystex, right? Yep. So, so do you want to give like an overview for people of what that is? Cause I got very excited when I heard the work that you started. Yeah. So the background was actually that, uh, so there's an um, South American group of people which speak a lot of Spanish too. They invited me to this chat for the Decker board actually. Um, I, I wish, should I get it? Uh, no, well, that would create empty time. Uh, so the Jurassic Decker board, it's, it's that guy here. Wait a minute, let me show it to you. Uh, okay. Yeah, you can see it here. Yes, the one that's glowing uh, over there, gotcha. The, with, uh, and um, that community, kind of, they were a lot of into retro gaming, and I, I liked it too. I, have, I, I don't have the mister, actually, at all. I have a similar board, which is called the Socket, the AeroSocket. It has almost the same chip on it as the mister. And uh, th- those community also made some ports. Uh, they ported the original Mister course to that one. It uh, doesn't need a lot of modifications because it's the same chip, but uh, it has uh, VGA instead of HDMI, so they, uh, and a different uh, audio output. And so I played around with that, and uh, in that forum came up the idea. One of them, they, he wanted to make something like the Mister, uh, uh, but replace the Cyclone 5 because it's expensive and uh, you know the the original board is subsidized actually was subsidized so it's like the uh, ST microsystems they won over a lot of you win over a lot of engineers if you sell your development board for really cheap then the engineers buy it and play with it and because they're already familiar with it and like it then they use it in the project so and this is why the development boards uh, tend to be subsidized now, uh, the Mr. Project took one of those ports, which was fantastic cheap at the time, and uh, um, especially with a 110K sized FPGA and uh, made it a game console. And, and, and it's genius because uh, the hardware is ideal for that. And it was really uh, um, unparalleled in, in, in the value for money you get from this board. And, and uh, so, uh, in the forum, there came up the idea, one of them tried to replace the, the so in the Cyclone 5, there is an ARM uh, system of a chip in there and an FPGA. Uh, and the ARM system of a chip runs Linux. And the Linux does all the input handling, like the game controllers and uh, file management and loading the FPGA, the, the cores into the FPGA and stuff like that. And so, uh, and, he, and one of uh, the guys in the forum wanted to replace the H- HPS system with, uh, so the, the embedded sock with uh, Raspberry Pi. And that's actually the idea which uh, infected me. So it took a a year or more until it became an urge just to to try it because the 
the original board, yeah, it was unavailable for a long time. And also, yeah, right now it's it's available again, but it's it's kind of expensive. It costs 220 bucks or something. Uh, and I I I really want like cheap stuff, you know. I like 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 cheap Chinese stuff. <laughs> and and uh, they are great at electronics. So the uh, the QM Tech boards, which you one of them saw already on the audio interface. Uh, so uh, yeah. So like that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is an Arctic Seven One Hundred T that has uh, is almost the same size as a Mister, as the FPGA and the Mister, but it has it costs only eighty bucks. So wow. this guy here. But that's just the uh, FPGA. Does that also have a, a processor on there as well, an ARM processor? No. Uh, so um, then you would need the Raspberry Pi to go along with it, correct? Uh, well, but Raspberry Pis are really super expensive too. And that's why I came up with, um, well, they are all tied up. I, I put the camera there with uh, Allwinner D1, which is a Chinese RISC-V chip. Uh, RISC-V is a new open source architecture. And mm -hmm. uh, it yeah. only costs 16 bucks, has a gigahertz uh, processor in it, 512 megabytes RAM. And this, this runs twice as fast, actually, as the original Mr. Core, they run about 400 megahertz, but they have two cores, I must say. But for latency, probably the faster one is better, I guess. So I, I made a little development setup. Uh, let me show this, like there. Ah, it's hard. So uh, you see a lot. Uh, ah, let me see. That's kind of. Okay, so what you see here the, is the FPGA. Here's the FPGA. And, and then there, it has VGA. The daughter board, which is also from QMTech, has a VGA port uh, on it. Then here it has some uh, general purpose IOs from the FPGA, which I connect here to the all-winner D1 board. So you see this, this only costs 16 bucks, this little board. And I, um, so this is connected up there. The, the green PCP you see is actually only a digital to analog converter. So this just connects a, an SPDIF uh, to audio. So for, that's for the sound. And I've got a little keyboard here uh, just to, this is a normal keyboard, but it has enough keys for the mister and uh, to save space on the, on the desk. So I replaced this with um, that little guy here. And um, fortunately, it only needs a couple of IO lines. You can see here, it actually needs only four wires, eight wires actually to the FPGA. And, um, so, and uh, um, I modified the Mr. software that it runs over that. Uh, so, so that took me about a week or so, and in total a month to get it going, uh, to have playable cores. And um, so I, I'd love to hear a little bit about that process, but I just would like to pause for a moment just to kind of bring everybody up to speed. Uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my strong opinion that the number one reason for doing something like this is longevity, because the DE10 isn't going to be made forever. And the fact that you're starting to look at alternative hardware platforms just means that the Mr. Project is going to go longer. But it also is a cost savings on top of that. And there's the potential for more powerful and future or different hardware on top of that. Am I getting all of that correct? 
yeah, that's exactly all the points I wanted to mention. So uh, there, there are a couple of reasons why I would like to be able to port it to other FPGAs and uh, one. So I, cost saving was one uh, aspect, but a lot of people maybe. So for me, for example, I don't really bother much about the really big cores like the 486. So I, I don't see really the point to have a big FPGA emulating an old PC when I have a new PC in front of me. I can run something like DOSBox. But yeah, but there are something like play, uh, the, the PlayStation X core, but it still fits on the mister. But there are under others like, uh, what, what was it? Uh, there's a Nintendo. The DS wouldn't quite the fit DS, in there, I believe. Right. And so Same, the N64 is questionable, I believe. The what? N64? I believe the N64 is questionable. It's right. probably not going to run on the DE10. Right. So for, for me, I, I didn't grow up with that hardware. I kind of bypassed it. So I, I really was concerned about the arcades. And as, they run actually quite fine with even smaller mm -hmm. FPGAs. And so one idea was making a cheaper version of it. And the other thing is other guys really want to run a big, uh, bigger course like the N64 on it. So you could, mm -hmm. and with my framework, you can actually go in both directions. You can do one spin for the cheaper uh, uh, side of things, and you can uh, just do another thing for the powerful one. So from QM Tech, uh, you can get now a Kintex 325T for 99 bucks. But there are only a kind of two of them left in stock, and I don't know if they reproduce them because they are from retired mining hardware. Uh, so and they what usually... about the opposite side? Is there hardware out there that could do 4K60, for example? Oh, you mean? Oh, you mean? No, um, with K, I mean uh, the number of thousand logic elements of the. Of no, the... I'm I'm talking about video output. Like, is there are there development kits out there that are very expensive, but you could still use your framework to run it on there, so you can get a true 4K 60 video output. E that would be possible, yeah, but you would need a rather high spec FPGA with uh, probably with high speed transceivers on it. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know how much sense would that make for retro gaming, because you have to scale it up anyway. So, and then what's really the point having the high frame rate? Ex except you have cores which go in that direction. Well, there's a couple of easy answers for that. So, first, uh, some panels just look and run better when you're only running them in their native resolution. Oh yeah, um, sure. Computer monitors are are ninety percent of that. TVs usually scale decently well, but uh, you know, in my limited experience, I've only seen 50 to 100 newer monitors in the past few years and all the places that I've worked at, but, in, you know, gaming, gaming places, but still all of my experience shows that if you send a 4k monitor, a 1080p 60 signal, yeah, it's going to look, look fine, but not nearly as good as if you actually just sent it a 4k signal. There's some concern with latency. I don't really think there's much at all, but then there's also CRT emulation filters that tend to look a little bit better at the higher resolutions. So, so yeah, I mean, while you're right, you don't need to run retro in 4K. There are some advantages to it, and it's also just kind of a neat thing, right? It's the same thing. People, some people will spend $1,000 on a set of speakers, and other people will spend $100 and think you're crazy for spending 1000 and the people that spend 1000 think this is the greatest thing in the world. So there's, you know, it's just kind of that as well, too. Oh yeah, I, I never really thought about it, but it, it makes totally makes sense as you say it to me. So um, 
that makes really sense to think about it. Uh, so there are kind of like beastly FPGA boards like this one I've got up here, which is actually which I have up for a, a paid work project. Uh, this is uh, this guy here. Mm. So uh, let me pull this away. So this is a Kintex 325T. It's also one of the retired mining hardware uh, from AliExpress. This only this board costs only 200 bucks. 220 bucks, like the Mister, actually, and it has mm -hmm. a uh, is about three the three times the size of the Mister. Whoa! And and it has high speed transceivers on it, and it also has an HDMI port. And this might be able to run 4K60. I don't know if the HDMI port could do it. Probably it could. I guess uh, you probably could make it make it do that. So this would be kind of a beastly FPGA. The little green board that you saw up there was a Raspberry Pi 4 CM4 board, mm -hmm. so, which is actually quite powerful enough to emulate retro games on its own without the FPGA. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you s this is a part of a different project, I'm a paid project I'm working on. So uh, uh, yeah, it might be one day I might report it to the tool. So the nice thing about the current framework I'm working on, it's I use, and that's why it's called MISDEX. Uh, it's actually the MISDER, but the EX comes from a project named LITEX. And LITEX is a, is a system on chip generator for FPGAs, which is one of the most popular FPGA open source projects out there. And it, uh, what this project does, it, it lets you build systems over chips in very different com configurations for, for about 100 or more development boards. So mm -hmm. this project has the, the kind of the board definition files for about 100 or more uh, development boards. And I contributed also about 10, 10 boards to that project. Um, because yeah, you know, like all like all FPGA developers, I uh, have gear acquisition syndrome. So buying FPGA boards is kind of it, it can get really addictive, <laughs> and uh, it's about time I'm stopping now. <laughs> but uh, now with the Mystics project, I got another reason to buy some more. So and what it did. So uh, so the thing is, um, uh, if I use that framework, I can actually very quickly build uh, the Mister for different kinds of boards and different kinds of FPGAs because the wiring is all in those definition files and I just need to say what goes where in a, in a, in a very general way. And so the, the Litex framework does the rest. And that's why, why I called it MISTEX. And also it means kind of like Mr. Expanded uh, or Extended. I love it. So, so can uh, we just back up for a moment and talk a little bit about the framework, how it works and how you implemented it and you know, um, I guess the general audience that's going to be listening to this is I obviously mean this with love, but our fellow nerds. So um, but not all of us are super programmers like I, you know, there's a limit where certain programming stuff just starts to go over my head. So don't feel don't feel afraid to be nerdy. But, um, you know, not all of us are, are programmers. So I guess, you know, from from that with that in mind, could you kind of describe how your framework works and, you know, basically the overview of it? Because I I. I've been following you and in, in your work, and I, I loved how you went about doing it. But I kind of want to hear it, you know, directly from you, and I want you to tell everybody. So, can I do screen sharing with this? I, I, Absolutely, I, I think do. you can. Yeah. I just ah, wait a minute. Cost is that what I should looking for devices? No, that's uh, oh, that was Chromium. I, I I don't know exactly how I would do that. You oh, call settings. Funny I enough, I don't know. think I've ever tried. 
Uh, I can't really find it. I, I'm, uh, I just used the Zencaster right now. So uh, yeah, uh, le let me tell it just like uh, it's a Python-based framework. So uh, actually each, uh, each development board has two components in the Lightex framework. One is the, the, the platform file. The platform file describes kind of what devices are on there and what on which devices are connected to which pins. And that's really the tedious part because so FPGA has, has hundreds and hundreds of pins and each of them have different pin numbers and and you uh, and these need to be mapped on the development board. And this is really tedious wiring an FPGA because you have to connect hundreds and hundreds of signals and uh, it's already there in the Lightex board. So I take that. So. Uh, and the other uh, part is the target file, and this is what is specific to the Mistex project. So I can there in the target file just wire up that development board with uh, Mister cores. So the Mister has on each FPGA has a system, and which is called Sys, and uh, the system file provides all the uh, the on-screen display, the video scaler, the audio, and all the interfacing with uh, with the uh, hardware processing system, with the little Linux system, which does the input. So, uh, so that's it. So if I want to uh, support a new board, I need to write a new uh, of the target files, which kind of, uh, yeah. And, and I also created a little framework, which allowed me to uh, port to use different cores on different vendor tool chains. So original Mister project, of course, used the Intel Quartos tool chain mm -hmm. and is a bit bound up in that. So, um, and the nice thing with the Litex is that Litex can work on any tool chain of any vendor of any of the major vendors and then automatically generates the project files. For the for the respective tool chain, so I can, so I was able to run, Mister um, Cores like the Qbert Arcade on a Xilinx FPGA for the first time, yeah, with but with the same software that, as the Mister system on the hard processor system, and because the Litex framework would generate all the project files which are needed for the Vivado tool chain of Xilinx, yeah. and uh, yeah, I needed a little bit of added metadata. So I, I added a YAML file, which kind of describes which files are for which tool chain and, and so and so on. But now I've got a basic framework in place, which could, uh, which can build different cores for different FPGAs already right now. So I've got my so first one. Yeah. This framework. Um, and, you know, I want to, I want to really grasp this. So um, does this something that you use this framework to convert existing cores to a new platform, or does it do the conversion in real time? Um, the, the, um, the answer is a bit complex. Yeah, the conversion kind of, if you want to move it to a different platform, like from Intel to Xilinx FPGAs, what I needed to do is actually to change the sys part of the cores to be able to run on the different FPGAs. So this needed to be done. Uh, and this is also a manual process. 
And, but uh, there's also an, an automatic part of the process, which is kind of the adaptation to the different development boards that's provided by the Lightix system. But I still need to adapt the Swiss part for the different vendor uh, FPGA architectures, for example. And now we're getting really technical. So the clock generators on those FPGAs, they work very differently on the, uh, so you, you have to use the vendor specific clock generators for each FPGA. And um, what else? Yeah, it's it's mainly the clock generations, uh, and uh, that that needs to be so. I, that kind of is put I put into conditional blocks. So there are blocks which say if this runs on an Intel toolchain, then use this code, and if this runs on the Xilinx, then it uses another part of the code. So uh, so then that takes care of running on different F FPGAs. So. Uh, uh, and also see, another goal of the framework is to kind of eliminate uh, one of the weaknesses of the MISTA project. Uh, I think the, the main weakness is that the sys part, the system part, which kind of handles all the communication with the Linux system and also the um, input and screen rotation and everything, that is copy pasted to each MISTA core. So a copy of that is in each Mr. core, and all of the cores have a different version of it. Some have a newer, some have an older version. And if you change something in, in the system, you will have to manually copy it into every Mr. core, Mr. core in the project. And, and that's a lot of um, work, which is actually done much better by a computer because it's extremely repetitive. And so, my, one of my next goals is that, so the MISTA project has a template core, which contains the newest system, uh, which is just a template core, is just a, a kind of a, a noise in the background and a little a menu, uh, and, uh, but with the most up-to-date system. And now with my Python-based framework, I can kind of assemble the files of the project uh, from Python. Huh? So interact, uh, not interactively, but uh, programmatically, so dynamically. Huh? I can dynamically assemble a project and um, that gives me a lot of flexibility. So, and what I'm going to do in the very, very near future is that I use the, the system part only for the temp from the template core. And then from all, all, if I want to port all other Mr. cores, I just disregard it and I use just the one from the template core. So that I will, okay. won't have to copy those changes to every other core. And if, they, the, if there's a mismatch, then I just would have need to upgrade the core to work with the latest system of the MISTER. So that would probably be the best way to go. Uh, and uh, then I then we have real flexibility there. You can just then, uh, yeah, you can move to, if one, if the SYS on the template core supports it, then all the other cores will support it too. And then it only needs to be changed once. And uh, because of the Python framework, it can assemble each core with the latest sys. And uh, this is so. Very... If uh, if somebody has takes their their core that they've written, and um and this is, you know, this is one of my very favorite parts about this. So um you know I'll do the general overview and then please fill in the blanks. But somebody takes the core that they've built that they've spent so much time on. They've worked their butts off. They got it running. It's great on Mister, but now they want to make it work on other platforms to port it to your framework to then port it to other pieces of hardware is 
far easier. And it's, I'm not saying it's easy. You know, you can't just walk up and never you know, have never done this before and run a file and do it. But compared to the work of reverse engineering and writing a core, it's way easier to do that, to use your framework to port it to multiple platforms than it would be to start from scratch, right? Yeah, it's actually much, much, much easier because the thing is that Mr. Sys provides a very abstract or unified interface to each core. So the Mr. Sys to each arcade core, it acts like a kind of a virtual machine, a black box. Mm. And so the only thing you have to change in your custom core is actually the clock generation. It's called the PLLs, the phase lock loops. So uh, and if you, you need just to supply a clock, uh, a clock generation clock for each kind of different FPGA architecture, you probably would need one for Xilinx 7 series, one for the Intel Cyclone 5, one for the Intel, the, the smaller ones for the Max 10 and, and Cyclone 4. So, uh, and that's not much work. You can do that if everything goes well in maybe in five to 10 minutes or something like that. So, um, that is awesome. So, you know, well, I'm sorry for everybody listening that it took me you know, 40 minutes to get there, but this is really like the, the killer feature of this is the work that you're doing is allowing people to all the things that we talked about, you know, faster platforms, cheaper platforms, lo platforms, longevity, the work that you're doing is allowing people to do that so much more efficiently. And at the same time, it's embracing all of the work that was already done. You're not spitting in the face of all of these developers saying, you should have done it this way. No, no, no. Everything's cool. Your work is awesome. But if you want to evolve it, here's a here's a way that we could bring it to more platforms easily. So that's just, in my strong opinion, there's nothing but positivity here. So actually, uh, it's not only that, but um, for the... So why I uh, took the mister uh, is because Chotego, the very famous FPGA core developer, he said the reason why mister is so successful is uh, that because of the, the menu system, the, the Linux, the little Linux system. So I wanted that. And uh, the, my current for, uh, fork of that or branch of that actually has not a relatively contained modifications. So I can actually even relatively easily pull all the new updates from the Mr. Project. So uh, without a lot of hassle. Uh, I cut a lot of corners there, but, but uh, the, the code base actually, it's, it's uh, only a couple of files which I changed, mainly some of, one, one of them dramatically, which is the communication in, uh, between the FPGA and the uh, system. But uh, because of that, I can really pull all the updates from the Mr. Project into my project. Uh, so the, the, uh, and also from from each core, yeah? because the, I, I try to keep the modifications to the cores and on uh, the menu system to a minimum. And so uh, that is uh, so the the improvements from the Mr. Project continue to flow here. That's uh, so important. That is so important because let's just say hypothetically the DE10 Nano disappears tomorrow. You can never buy them again. They, they just hypothetically speaking, let's just say. So now it fractures and now people are using five or six different pieces of hardware. Now developers don't have to manually support all of the different hardwares and there's not going to be any worried about, well, which one is this developer supporting? No, just keep doing your same work and then your project will just pull all those updates down and allow it to be distributed. So obviously, you know, I hope all other developers jump on board and keep this in mind, but 
the way you're going about doing it doesn't force people to do multiple work every time they need to do an update. You know, they could just continue to do it for the DE10 and it still would get implemented, right? Yeah. So, uh, but there's still one thing that needs to be done. You need to build a bitstream for each uh, individual FPGA. Yeah? So each every each FPGA needs a different configuration file because yeah, that's right. uh, very intimately tied into how the FPGA is um, uh, built. And yeah, but uh, the nice thing about it is this can be automated with the LightX framework. So in, if you have a, a beefy machine or something like that, you can just run a bunch of scripts and then it runs for maybe a, a night or a couple of days or whatever, depends on how much you build. And then you have got all the cores ready uh, for that. That is awesome. That is such a cool way to approach it. And, you know, this also opens up the doors to so many different ideas because, you know, a lot of us have been daydreaming, floating around the idea of what if the next revision of the hardware, or, or what if one of the next revisions is something like a dual FPGA with a graphics card in it. So imagine, you know, just for sake of visualization, imagine a D10 Nano with a P PCI Express by 16 slot on the side, and you plug in a modern graphics card. That's way over the top. I'm saying that just for visualizations here. But, you know, the thought is, what if someday you could adapt these cores to then offload the video processing to a different GPU so you could do something like have the N64 emulated, but then also have everything rendered, you know, basically getting all of the the advantages of hardware emulation and software emulation at the same time. You know, you could render in higher resolutions, things that you couldn't really do with the DE10 and with uh, original hardware, but with all of the low latency and the accuracy of FPGA. And a lot of my friends who have been talking about that, it's a huge undertaking. But then one of the concerns that was always brought up was, well, what if we do all this work? And it's only one set of hardware and nobody else ports the cores over and nobody buys it. And, you know, now the thought of doing something like that, knowing that it would be easier to transition the cores over, you know, I think that might spark some more creativity on the hardware side of things, too, because now it's, you know, it, the doors have been opened to different possibilities. And, you know, for all of my, my dev friends, I know I'm skimming over all the details there. I'm just, I'm daydreaming in the clouds. I know that's way harder than, than any of the, than I'm making it seem, but it just, it feels like more possibilities are becoming less of a daydream because there is not the confines of, of you know, fracturing the project because you wouldn't be fracturing the project at all. Yeah, but actually, this is our goal. <laughs> but it's not fracturing, but modular modularizing. Yeah? The current mm -hmm. code is quite opaque, uh, which means it's very tied to the technology. And, and this is also where the LightX framework comes in, because the LightX framework is really excellent at modularizing that. So you can build system with the LightX, for example, you can build system on a chip with 10 different CPUs. You just need to pass it a different command and then it has a different CPU in it. You can switch from ARM to RISC-V to PowerPC to, to uh, a lot of different CPUs. You can swap them out just with one uh, command. And, and the nice thing, what you said about the PCI Express is that LightX project also has PCI Express cores, which are open source. So what you can oh, wow. already do right now, you could actually, you could take this card here, um, the $200, and you see that has a PCI Express port on it. You yeah. could put in, 
you could put a, uh, use the Litex core in there, and then, for example, you could plug in the FPGA card into your PC as an accelerator, and then you could play the retro games on your PC, but the PC only handles the display. And, and so you, you have uh, output about the game uh, runs on the FPGA, and the video output goes over PCI Express with very low latency, and uh, you can play it on the PC, something like that would be possible. So that daydream idea is now a little bit more of a reality. There could potentially be something where you offload the graphics processing to the GPU then, right? If you yeah, place and, it in uh, your computer like that. Yeah. Then for that, you would need a PCI root complex. I'm not sure if the Litex has a root complex on it, but I think somebody did this. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe. But it, it's uh, certainly possible. But the other thing, I, I don't really know the higher-end course. I, I read some discussions on the internet that for the more recent hardware, it uh, like the newer PlayStations or so, it's some because they, those computers look more and more like modern PCs, more or less. Huh? Mm. So the, the the modern PlayStations and also the uh, yeah Xbox, of course, Xboxes are PCs. Yeah, or uh, Steam right. Deck. Yeah, Steam Deck right now is a Linux PC. Uh, so it uh, for the more modern hardware, it doesn't make that much sense anymore to run it on an FPGA because you just would probably get farther with standard PC hardware. I completely agree. I think Dreamcast and PS2 uh, might be just about where that ends, with some exceptions. The Wii might the the Wii might fall into that category. Some handhelds, you know, the DS and 3DS might fall into that. But you're right. I wouldn't expect a PS3 to be run on an FPGA. I just, you know, unless somebody came up with a power PC core. <laughs> but there's already one a power PC core in Litex. Oh wow, really? An FPGA core, yeah. Power PC FPGA core. Hmm. All right, so the possibilities are out there, but yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do see where where you're where you're going with this, and that there is a cutoff where certain things are just not you're not going to gain anything by running them on an FPGA versus quality software emulation. But there is definitely a group of consoles in the middle there that um, that I think probably would PlayStation One might N sixty four, you know, any anything yeah. any That's early three nice. D graphics I think would probably benefit. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, the the most the more modern consoles, uh, which I already said, are more like PCs. So you probably won't make much of a difference uh, uh, running it on FPGA instead. And and the thing is, uh, those modern game consoles run already pretty fast in terms of megahertz, and FPGAs actually can't go that fast. So even those higher end, like the Kintex here, can maybe run up up to 200 or 300 megahertz and something. And uh, you know, my, the power Mac I had 20 years ago already ran 600 megahertz. Uh, so, uh, yeah. yeah. So um, I know this is kind of an out in left field question, but uh, since you have a lot of experience with FPGAs, it's one of the things that I've always wondered is, is there some kind of open source DVD and Blu-ray core floating around that could be ported over to the mister because one of the things that people who are into old movies and old tv shows run into is that you know if you pop a dvd into your blu-ray player you're at the mercy of whatever scaling is done in that blu-ray player which is often the cheapest chips available at that time so running it in uh the company oppo calls it source direct mode but basically there are certain players out there where when you put your disc in 
you could put it on a, a, a you know a logic analyzer and it's exactly bit for bit what is on the disk so that allows whatever external processor to do its job you know as we're progressing and there's newer you know upscaling technology out there it's kind of a big deal but i don't think i've heard anybody talk about potential for video playback on the mr project and i don't know if it's just simply a limitation or if just no one's cared except me <laughs> i don't really understand much about blu-ray actually because i never owned a blu-ray device in my life and uh, the thing is actually if if you have a blu-ray drive on your pc actually uh, then you could read out the data from that perfectly and then do the rest of the needed conversion software probably is this what you mean or uh, i don't really no real-time playback real-time playback so uh pc blu-ray and dvd players are notoriously not as good as some of the higher end just dedicated pieces of hardware because you're at the mercy of it's uh, it's almost the, the same complaints as software emulation. You have different processing going on. You have things changing the signal. You have it, there's, you know, a, a couple of friends could explain it a lot better than I could. But both technically speaking and in side by side comparisons, I've rarely gotten a scenario in which a PC would do as good of a job with the scaling of those resolutions to whatever you're going for. Oh, you mean the scaling, right? Yeah. I mean, if you could find a way to take a PC and get, you know, even if it's a Linux PC, uh, especially like a little system on a chip, Raspberry Pi, whatever, if we can figure out a way to to make a player that just outputs one to one what is on that disk. So no scaling whatsoever, no changing of the audio or video, just sending it right out. That would absolutely be all we need. And then you, you send it into whatever modern scaler you have, whether it's the RetroTINK 4K or just some of the newer higher-end TVs that have those new MediaTek scaling chips in it that are awesome. But the point is you're still using more modern stuff than some crappy scaling chip on a Blu-ray player from 10 years ago. Well, uh, you can do video scaling very well with FPGAs. That's where the, uh, so real-time video processing is one of the main use cases of FPGAs, and that's also why they're used kind of in digital cameras and stuff and missile guidance systems and stuff like that. You know, uh, um, so the the that part would be handled very well by an FPGA because it's like a, you can build your own custom chip, which does that in most real time. The thing is only where you need to get a real clean input signal for, for that. And I, I, I still don't re- really see the advantage if you have a software playback, so uh, which reads a software which reads just, you could convert just the files into uh, just rip them and then upconvert them. And uh, but that's you're totally correct. Um, but that's it's just ease of use, right? So because how many how many times play. have you sat down and gone? You know, I really want to watch this TV show. So let me rip the disc, run it through my upscaling process, you know, uh, wait for it to finish. We'll do a three pass version and then we'll wait. So versus like, okay, I have a disc or I just have the MKV uncompressed rip of the disc sitting on a server somewhere. Let me send that through a device that could then scale it properly. And there are players out there that'll do it, but they're expensive and they're harder to find. Whereas if you could just send that file through the mister into another scaler or or have the mister scale it, especially for DVDs and stuff like that. That would be that would be a huge advantage. But 
I, there would definitely be a cost involved because I think not all of the stuff would be open source. I think you'd have to buy certain decoder licenses, but you could also do this on a Raspberry Pi. So the fact that it's it's available elsewhere means that it's you know it's not impossible. But I was just I figured I would ask because it would just be neat to have that option at some point, even though that's not at all the focus of the project. I totally get that. Yeah, well, uh, that, that would be a different project, actually. So, and uh, I, I also would need to look a bit into the details of how the Blu-ray data is uh, structured and all that. So I can say much about it from right in, impromptu, mm. if you like. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, I tend to... Uh... Have you tried a VLC kind of, uh, the video LAN? And yeah. Oh, I've tried everything. I've tried oh. everything. I've had, you know, it, it, any video files listening are going to be excited and annoyed with me because it, it's a lot deeper than this. And if you, if you, I guess the best way to put it is if you go and you buy a very good TV, you buy a TCL brand TV and you hook up VLC player or your PC or a good ultra HD Blu-ray player, or even an Apple TV box, it's going to look awesome. You have, you're going to have zero complaints. But if you go out and you spend the money on a really nice OLED, then you take a little bit of time to calibrate it, and then you buy a high-end player to play your movies versus plug your computer into it, you're going to see a difference, definitely. So this is really, this is definitely for the higher-end crowd. Most people are not going to care at all plugging in an Apple TV, which I'm not an Apple fanboy, but the Apple TV does a great job with a lot of stuff, especially with different software people have had where you could just play files over your network. Um, So, you know, this is really, I guess, uh, I think a lot of people who might be into this as well probably come to the conclusion of why am I going to waste months of my time porting this over to the mister when I could just get an Apple TV box and get 99% of what's what Bob's talking about here. So I get it. It's just my crazy brain always always looking for the next thing and always kind of seeing where there's holes in the holes in the community that haven't been filled yet. If anybody other than me even cares about this. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, can definitely look into that, I guess. Um, I, 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 it's just, I'm, I'm not really much into entertainment industry at all. So I, <laughs> my understanding there is kind of limited. So I, I, you need to, maybe that we could take that offline. You could uh, help me understand really what the difference is. Uh, and yeah, sure. And I could figure out uh, what would be the best approach for that. But yeah, I'm you know the technical stuff takes a lot of time. I have very little time left for actually entertainment, and entertainment usually tends to bore me very quickly. So uh, yeah, I, I I really love the the Pixar movies, uh, uh, but they they yeah. come on or the, yeah kind of those computer animated movies. I really like them. I like to watch them with my family. But they are, That's they how I turn my so brain often. off at the end of every night. At the almost every night, you know, when I'm trying to wind down, and my, my brain is just thinking about all the different projects I'm working on and want to work on, and new ideas, and watching, just sitting down on a couch, you know, pouring a drink. It doesn't even have to be alcohol; it could just be a water with a lemon in it. Anything that's not just water, but you know, having a drink and watching something on TV is is how I turn my brain off. So, you know, ninety percent, if not if not 95% of the stuff I watch wouldn't matter. You know, a documentary looking perfect is not going to be any better than a documentary looking fine. But, you know, yeah. occasionally you get like a really cool Pixar movie that has amazing animation and you start to see, 
you know, three, two pull down judder where that drives some people crazy. And you see some um, crosstalk and there's just, you know, there's little things where it doesn't make the experience bad, but people who care about this stuff, video files will see the difference the same exact way that people with good ears into audio will, yeah. will explain to you the difference between the thousand dollar and the hundred dollar speakers, you know? Yeah. Most people don't care though. Most people don't. I'm the first Definitely. to admit that. Yeah. So where at the moment, where is the project? I mean, all of your stuff is on, uh, you know, I'll link to your GitHub of course. And actually I'll just yeah. link to your main, your main root page that has all of your other links in there as well. Yeah. Um, the organization, the mystics organization contains all the files. And uh, as soon as I have something that works, I push it on there. So you, uh, have in principle, you have got everything there. Uh, it's and not you have very... a list of hardware that you've tested up there as well, correct? Well, I've bought definition for the bots, which I could make it work. I upload bot definition files, which are not many in the moment. There's one for the Cyclone 5 and one for the Xilinx right now. And the Terrasic Decker board is in work. I'm probably push the first version soon. Um, so yeah, I could make the HDMI work and the OSD, but the game score doesn't show, show up the video. I, I don't know where it gets lost. So I need to figure that out. As soon as I've got that done, then I will push that too. And uh, I, I make no binary releases yet. Uh, and also, yeah, I've got no real, the, the hardware which I made, uh, it gathered quite a bit of attention and people thought, where can I buy it? And uh, actually I deliberately chose um, the Decker board because it's not available anymore because the, Guys who tend to have it are FPGA developers, so they all have it, and 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 this is uh, um, intended to be a development uh, platform right now, because the thing is, um, a part of of the process is kind of to figure out what would be the ideal setup for this uh, hardware-wise. Um, so because there are the different goals here, one is cost saving, the other is maybe going to big, bigger F, FPGAs. So I thought maybe the sweet spot would be the 100K size, which is the same as the Mister. And, uh, uh, but you could make it happen for probably, yeah, if it's uh, the board is open source, you could maybe make it everything happen for maybe $150. Well, but that's probably not, as exciting because for $70 more, you have something that were, is perfectly polished and so on. So probably uh, in future, probably the perspective of bigger FPGAs would be more attractive to people, I guess. But but there, I'm not so sure about it. I, 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 I That's a part of the process kind of to find, find it out. And with the QM deck boards, it's actually nice. You could go both ways at once. Uh, I think because, it's both. Because they have somebody... the time to make a board an add-on board or maybe just the entire thing well, that I was would, cheaper and available I, you know i'm going to design it yeah but it's it i want so why i use the decker board because the decker board has the same hdmi chip on it as the mister so the exact same and it this chip costs about five bucks or so if i want to put it on my own pcb and um so I, I, I use this decker because I already have it and to kind of to find out how to use the chip and yeah, and to see how, how porting that works. And I probably could even replace the chip totally by FPGA circuitly too. So the Litex project has an HDMI core on it, which could make the whole chip actually superfluous. Uh, so, hmm. and, and, and this is kind of why 
it's a development where I need to figure out what would be the best way to go forward because this would kind of save me a, maybe five or seven bucks per bucks dollars per board yeah, in cost mm -hmm. and and yeah and, and a handful of components uh, but on the other hand then i would have less space in the fpga and then i need to see how much would that be and um so there's a lot of trade-offs involved and um this is what the decker board also helps me, me figure out so the next step of course is the other uh, the, uh the extend the game console port for the QM tech form factor boards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely going to be something like that, like my audio interface, which is also uh, like here, that mm -hmm. I uh, create an extend a daughter board for that. Um, I, actually, it, I want two small ones on each side because for the production PCB production, small boards are a lot cheaper than bigger boards, lo a lot cheaper, and. Yeah, you know it, <laughs> probably, uh, from TLC PCB. And uh, yeah, uh, and I guess that might maybe cost something like, without the without the all winner D1 chip, might cost something like maybe 30, 40 bucks to make one in small quantities. Of course, much cheaper in large quantities assembled. So yeah, with the all winner D1, so with the... Artix board was 80 plus 40 for the for the for the I/O board. Then we would be at 120 plus the all winner D1. It's just 16 bucks. You would be at something like 140 with specs comparable to the Mister. Um, of course, QM Tech has a 200 Artix 200T board, which is double the size, and it only costs about 10 bucks more or so, or 20 bucks more. Yeah? So, so, but the um, thing is, a, it's not very available. Yep. Is it not available because it's not out yet, or is it just no. not going to be available anymore? Stock seems to be limited, so there are only a couple of mm. them left. I got one of those, but I don't know will they make new ones or not. You don't really know. So I saw that with uh, they had the Cyclone four twenty k boards, which were really cheap at the time. They were only. 20 bucks or so for, for a board or 30 at most. And then they went out of stock and then th that was it. So <laughs> the, for my audio interface, so that, that was gone. Uh, so I don't really know. So, and the Arctic 100 boards, they have still a hundred of, of those in stock. So I guess that would be the safest thing to build a first version on. And yeah, because of the framework, you can move into different directions, but you still have to build all the FPGA cores for the different platforms and so on. So and, I'm in kind of an interesting position though, because I, you know, my entire career has been nerdy stuff. So I understand the technical part, but doing retro RGB, I'm, I'm talking to users so much of the time, you know, more than probably more about 50%, if not more. So the problem most users have with the Mr. Project and the hardware around it is what do I buy? Oh, well, you buy this, but then you plug that into it. But then don't buy this, buy that if you need this feature. But then you have to plug yeah. this into that to get this. And it's just, it's very overwhelming for somebody to get started who isn't rooted in nerdiness yeah. or arcade boards. or So having, even if the price ended up being about the same, having a board that you just buy that's like, here is this. That's all yeah. you need. Yeah, and, and I, that, need to re I need the requirements for that. So I, I am not really a game person. So you probably would be an ideal person 
uh, to uh, get some to give me some in, fill me in on that because you really know what the users out there want. I don't really know. I'm I'm not a gamer, and I, I have no idea what those guys really want or need. I could uh, very so. easily, after we get off of this call, walk you through all of that. And it's very frustrating because a lot of developers, um, they just don't listen. Well, no, no, no. All, you know that's stupid. All you need is to plug this into that. Yeah, but if you've never done that before, why do you want to plug other stuff into things? Why do you want a snake's nest of th just make it? No, that's stupid. And it's just it's frustrating sometimes working with hardware developers because some are awesome and I love working with them and some just they can't see the perspective other than their own. And I know, you know, it's, it's human nature, right? We all run into that problem at some point. But being somebody that walks that line where half of my day I'm talking to my nerd friends, and the other half of the day I'm talking to the user base, I, it's very easy for me to tell what things are upsetting people that are so easily fixable on the nerd side and what's things that are not easily fixable like you know why can't i have this beautiful gorgeous ui with you know with animations going across and everything else it's like well that's a lot more that goes into that when you're using fpgas it seems like an easy yeah, problem really, yeah. but it's 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 not a problem that i think people should be worrying about right now but why do i need to plug five things into each other to get to my end goal that's a very valid concern and that's something that's limiting everybody's work here and I, the other thing that I see that really bothers me, too, is people don't really see the domino effect and even bigger companies, right? Like companies like uh, uh, Pound, that infamous company that makes those crappy HDMI adapters for consoles. They don't see that what they're actually doing by selling garbage is losing future business. And it's well, Mr. is open source. Why is there a business about it? It's, it's way bigger than that. It's you're losing people who would love what you do. So people that have Patreon accounts would have more subscribers. People that don't care about money and they, they do this for fun would at least get more people telling them how awesome they are. And I know that's not why a lot of these devs do this. They don't do it so they can get high fives, but it's still really nice to know when people love your work and when there's such small things that could be done that drive people or that will bring more people in I just I see how much could be gained from this from everybody, uh, you know, and I guess maybe it's pompous for me to say that I see it and other people don't. But I, I mean, I see it every day and I just there's so many amazing people in the mystery scene and I want everybody to treat them like rock stars and the people that get it do. But more people would get it if we just made it some things a little bit more welcoming and. You know, the whole, well, the DE10 Nano is a subsidized product that you can get so much cheaper. Yeah, and it's that... also a development board and not a user user product. Yeah? So it's, uh, right. yeah, uh, that is the thing. But so I, I really like the ideas you said, if you, if it, if we just make the periphery, make it like kind of a more like a console experience where just everything is there uh, and people don't uh, care about much, if that would be worth them, then that would be a real, uh, how do you say, a, a real use case, yeah? For having yeah. just even a same sized F uh, project. So, and with the stuff that you're showing and the examples that you're showing, we're talking about around the same price that still embraces the same developers that doesn't really like what, what the, the framework that you've laid out allows all of this to happen with so much less stress than it could have before. So, I just, I, you know, I'm seeing the dominoes fall starting with your project. And I just think this is. 
this has the potential to grow Mr. And grow it in a way where all of the existing devs and contributors grow with it. We're not leaving anybody behind by jumping on this. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, it's just it's it's inflating the balloon for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be nice. So uh, yeah, the plan is the the also the lead developer of the Lightex project also showed some interest. Maybe he wants to get on board some day in the future if he is incredibly busy and he's a very in demand guy. Uh, I have more leisure time because I work from an NGO right now. I'm full-time open source developer, so I can make a little side project here and there. And uh, yeah, um, yeah. For from the future perspective, I don't know. If, should I set up a Patreon account? I don't know. Uh, if I get money for it, then I get obligated to. Then it's not as much fun anymore, in a way. Because, but on the other hand, uh, yeah, it would be. I, I really just like working with it because right now my paid work is also for open source, but I'm writing an open source. F, I'm, I'm developing, I'm contributing to an open source FPGA toolchain for the Silings FPGAs. That's hmm. my paid work right now. But if I only write the software for the toolchain, I feel like. Um, Baker who doesn't eat bread, yeah, because I write FPGA yeah. toolchains, but I don't use them, yeah. So I, I want to uh, have some time where I really do something with the FPGAs and do some hardware stuff. And uh, the, the the Mystics project was really a lot of fun for that, yeah. And so my motivation is actually in open source is this I I benefited over all the four decades uh, so much from other open source projects. I grew up with open source. So I had this experience when we were all teenagers and my older brother, he exchanged kind of software with a computer club. And one day the police appeared and took everything away, all the computers. <laughs> and my, my, my older brother, they had to show up at the police office and answer some questions and stuff, but he was still a minor. He had no idea that that was illegal. Yeah? <laughs> he also didn't. And after that experience, I swore to myself, uh, either I'm going to buy software or I'm using, it was called public domain. And so and Amiga, I, I, this is how I really got into open source. Uh, and uh, so I, on the Amiga, I started using the GNU compiler and LaTeX and all the open source stuff. And now after all those years learning with that and growing with that, I want, I'm for the first time really able to contribute something back, to give something back. And I want to do something which is fun and interesting to me, but which is also really useful for other people. Otherwise, I, I would feel if, if it's not useful to others, it's kind of a waste of time because I want to give something back which is meaningful to others. Yeah? So that is my motivation. I could, of course, with my skills, earn a ton of money, but with my health, uh, it's clear that money doesn't make much difference anymore. I live in Indonesia where life is pretty cheap. So, uh, and- Yeah, you can't buy happiness. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's, that's a stupid saying, but it's also very true, so. And uh, luxuries, are, yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, luxuries are, are absolutely pointless. You get used to them so quickly and then they do nothing for you and except cost a lot. Uh, and so what really makes you happy is if you do something which is uh, helps others in some way and uh, also, yeah, where, where your talents kind of 
help making the world a little bit better in some corners. Yeah, and that's what what I try to do. And I hope and that's why I also do the FPGA toolchain development. So it's really exciting to be. Uh, to, yeah, I, to I feel you there. Uh, doing retro RGB full time is uh, quite quite a lot different in the paycheck point of view than the the career I gave up to do this. And I, I just it makes me very happy. I love helping other people. I love working with amazing devs. So I, I get a hundred percent where you're going with this. You know, I could have been, I could have been some hotshot project manager making buttloads of money, but I would never be home. I, you know, I wouldn't yeah. get to work with the variety of amazing people that I get to work with. I wouldn't get to do silly stuff like put a picture of me flipping the bird on the front of a t-shirt. Like, like it was, it's a story for another day, but uh, yeah, it's um, I'm very happy to be here. So I, I, it sounds like you are as well. And, I appreciate your time, both in the work that you're doing and for this interview too. This was this was great. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I also like very much the. This is kind of the same approach. Like you know, Mr. Beast, everybody knows him. I, my sons introduced me to him, and he has kind of that kind of motivation, and that's uh, um, surely an inspiration. Yeah, uh, and hmm. and yeah, yeah. Like Viktor Frankl said, uh, Viktor Frankl said actually what. Uh, what really matters in your life is kind of the meaning you is the meaning you do something meaningful yeah that is what makes you happy if you do something meaningful and yeah. uh, whatever that is yeah it can be creating something it can be experiencing something and it can be loving someone yeah that's what victor frankl said the most the main three things which create meaning in your life are those three things creating something loving someone or experiencing kind of the the beauty of the world that is around us and uh, yeah, so this is kind of uh, part of creating something. What I'm doing here, and what yeah, what I what you are doing too, and uh, yeah, and I hope uh, that will make the world a little better. For someone. I couldn't think of a a, a better way to uh, to close this one out. Thank you so much for your time, Hans, and uh, hopefully I will be following up with you in a couple months or a year to talk about. You know, where this project is going. So thank you. You're welcome.